welcome to the October edition of Life in the Tax Life. Happy Thanksgiving. No, this is Happy Halloween. It's our spooktacular <laughs> festival. It actually depends on what day you decide to watch it on. But you can pick the holiday. Yeah. For me, though, I'm, uh, I have to say I'm thankful for the media attention that's been focused on the recent tax consultation paper. But I think there's a lot of tricks buried in there. And uh, our goal today mm -hmm. is going to be to let's talk about some of those tricks and talk about what we're hearing in the media and see if we can shed a little light mm -hmm. on the confusion. Because I can tell you, anybody who's tried to read these rules is really confused. Yeah. So the biggest problem I see in this has been there's two aspects of this. Mm -hmm. What's the tax policy going to be? Well, we all want a fair tax system, and we all know it's easy to agree on what fair means. Just try discussing it with your kids about what time bedtime's going to be, and you'll see how easy it is to reach a consensus over what's fair. Good luck to you. Mm -hmm. But there's also the practical aspect. How do we implement this? We can agree on what we want the result to be, but if we've got rules that are so complex that no one can understand them, so difficult to comply with that the businessman can't actually focus on his business, he's too busy focusing on his bookkeeping and his tax structuring, yeah. then we've got a problem. Hugh, and I, think, I think we're better at discussing implementation than trying to form opinions. Well, yeah, and just, just one final comment on that here. You're seeing a lot of people who are uh, pro the changes, and there are, there are you can get mostly, I'd say, from an economic standpoint, from an overall policy standpoint. So that's part one of the equation. And I think a, a lot of the comments against it are sort of looking at it analytically and what it really does based on the rules. And they're so, saying it does this and that and the other thing. So really what this means is all of this stuff. So there's a little bit of misunderstanding yeah. between the two sides some here. Disconnect. A little bit of disconnect. So uh, yeah, let's let's get yeah. down to some of the actual things said or circulating in the yeah, media. Yeah, we're going to talk a little bit about these numbers. What about the 73 percent, Hugh? Boy, the media's made a big deal of a 73 percent tax rate on mm -hmm. passive income. Why is this an issue? Well, the reason is because of the way we tax corporate income in Canada. I might earn income in my small business corporation, and it's only subject to a 15 percent tax rate. And the government's looking at somebody who's doing quite well, maybe my business is successful, and we've got an employee who's making a lot of money. Mm -hmm. And we're both in the top personal tax bracket, so on personal income, we're going to pay 50% tax. Well, if that employee, non-business owner, earns 10 grand, he's got five left to invest, maybe invested at 2%, makes 100 bucks of interest, and that's subject to 50% tax. But in my corporation, I only paid 15%. I get 8,500 bucks to invest. I make 170 bucks in interest. So the goal of these passive income proposals, suggestions, is when I pay my corporate tax and pull that money out as a dividend, I should have the same 50 bucks that the employee has. I didn't use that deferral to grow the business. I used it to passively invest, and I shouldn't get an advantage. And in order to get there, I got to pay 120 bucks in total tax. That's about 73% of 170. And the mechanics are more complex. Mm -hmm. We're not going to go over them today. But how do we get there? We need to pay 73% if we believe that equalizing those two is yeah. fair. Yeah. Where's the complexity and the problem? Well, it works great if both parties are in the top mm -hmm. personal tax bracket. If they're not, it becomes less and less fair to the business owner because he's getting 
higher and higher tax on those passive earnings compared to the employee. Yeah, so what we're talking about here is a wealthy individual will get a bump in total tax of X amount. If the person running the business is like in the 30 grand category, the bump in tax that he'll have to pay on every thousand dollars of income will be even greater than the the person in the higher bracket. And so. that addresses another uh, concept that's discussed in the media that uh, lower income individuals are not going to be impacted here. Well, this is just one example where they are. Let's move on to uh, the next concept here, and that is about the reasonability test. We've heard about this before, and the whole concept here is uh, you've got, uh, let's say, a corporation, and you are paying dividends out to a husband and wife, and the wife is doing everything in the business, and uh, just because the husband has a share here, um, you have currently the ability to pay out a dividend. You can split it 50-50 between the two of them, and why would you want to do that? Well, if a household has two people earning $50,000 as to, uh, compared to a household where one person is only earning $100,000, the other nothing, you'll see that the 50-50 split is an overall drop in total tax. So that's why you might want to be like that. So how do we prevent that $50,000 dividend to go into that other person? Well, we basically say, if you're going to pay a dividend to him, it's got to be reasonable. What's reasonable? We look at three things risk that he took on, maybe he guaranteed a loan for the corporation, capital, so how much did he invest in the business to make money, and also his function, what did he do to participate? Now I think the biggest problem here is you sort of have to weigh those three factors together. I mean, maybe one spouse gave all the cash and the other did all the work. Is it a 50-50 or not? Um, there are, and, and every year you're going to have to basically do these calculations. So what you do is you find out what is reasonable for you to receive, what have you received, maybe through salaries or something else, and the net amount is what you can pay as a reasonable dividend. Joe, can I ask you this? Sure. You say, what have you received? Would that be just in the current year, or perhaps you're going to have to look potentially at historical remuneration, yeah. historical contributions? The way the rules are written right now, you essentially have to look to the beginning of the corporation, the total inputs from each party, less the total amounts taken out, so it could be 20 years of history, and the net amount is what a reasonable dividend would be. So as you can see, that's going to be pretty complicated and heavy. So this is one area where maybe, you know, legislation could, you know, use a little bit more efficiency, I don't know, uh, but we have to think about it a little bit. Joe, we should mention that uh, we're talking a lot about corporations, and one sleeper in these provisions is mm -hmm. they're not just corporate. That might not be an incorporated business. The husband and wife might just be working in partnership. Mm -hmm. Formally or informally, there could even be businesses carried on through a trust, but uh, does it affect low-income earners? Well, what if we just have that simple partnership? Yeah, so, so think about a business, husband and wife, maybe the total af or, you know, profits of the business, revenues less expenses, is, is low, say, $20,000. Mm -hmm. And maybe we allocate that income out 50-50 to the two partners, 10 to the wife, tend to the husband and maybe they take the position that both of their uh, contributions uh, con are, equal. Are, are equal. So yes, we should get 10 and 10. Well, what happens, and at $10,000, personal tax rates would be nominal if at all. So probably no tax regardless of where you Just live like across the country. Two employees getting $10,000, yeah, they yeah. pay no tax. Same yeah. deal. Okay. So, so what happens if maybe a year, two years down the road, CRA looks at what happened that year and disagrees with uh, the husband and wife? Maybe they take the position that one should have 75% of the allocations and the other 20. Maybe they suggest 100 versus zero. 
regardless, we're going to have an issue. Sorry, because, Heidi, you worked quite as well. Yeah, because any amount that is allocated to the partner that's unreasonable is subject to tax at the top rate with no personal tax credit. So let's just think of this example. One spouse gets 75% according to the CRA, the other gets 25%. We've done the allocation 50-50. Therefore, one individual's $10,000 allocation, half will be subject to tax at the top rate. Dollar-wise, what do we mean? $5,000 at, say, in Ontario, 53.53%. So we're talking about, what, just over $2,500 of tax that the individual will be subject to when in the past they weren't subject to any tax. And in addition, we're talking about interest, uncertainty, and all sorts of issues. And let's also note, Kate, that no matter how you divided that income up, 20000 income in total for a married couple doesn't attract personal tax. So that extra $2,700, more than 10% of their total income, mm -hmm. is only being subject to tax because of these new provisions. In the past, there would have been no issue. And keep in mind, that's CRA coming back, you know, a couple years later saying, I think you're wrong and you have to defend yourself for it. Yeah, yeah. Let's go on to the next point here. Yeah. So extra, oh, go ahead, Katie. No, go. <laughs> okay. okay. <laughs> uh, let's let's jump into uh, uh, non-corporate, $150,000 number. Have yeah. you heard that number yeah. before? Yeah, so the other concept here is only people earning up or earning in excess of 150k are going to get impacted by these proposals. That number uh, looks to be tied to the passive investment uh, income side. And the Department of Finance have basically said, well, if you're getting dividends of 150, you just change it to salaries. When you have earned income, you're going to build room to make contributions to your RRSP. By earning 150, you can maximize that room. Uh, you can contribute, say, 24,000. You have a little bit of change left over to invest in your TFSA. And you're in the same spot as an employee. So you should not be impacted um, here. And that's what the Department of Finance is, is saying. Any final comments, you? No, I think there's some reality to that. There's some issues with the business's volatile cash flows and income. There's a lot more issues here, but we don't have a lot more time. All right, we'll see you next month. For further discussion on issues raised in the preceding video and additional areas of concern, see the sample video extract from our October 2017 monthly tax update webinar. Go to videotax.com update. Life in the Tax Lane is presented by Video Tax News. The Video Tax News team has been supplying practical tax information to accountants and tax professionals for over 30 years. This Canadian-based company presents live and video seminars to thousands of tax professionals relating to both personal and corporate tax. Learn more at videotax.com. That's B-I-D-E-O-T-A-X.com. The preceding information is for general educational purposes only and deals with dynamic, time-sensitive, and complex matters that may not apply to particular facts and circumstances. Information provided should not be relied upon as a substitute for specialized professional advice in connection with any particular matter. For more details, see videotax.com disclaimer. Copyright Video Tax News Inc. 2017. All rights reserved.